Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello, everyone, and good afternoon. Welcome to Africa Family Business Research Conference. This afternoon, we're joined by Ms. Erica Vessels, um, who will be presenting on philanthropy and human rights and family businesses. You're welcome, Erica. Thank you so much, Nikkei. And thank you to the Nelson Mandela Family Business Unit. Thank you. So um, let me start again. I, I don't know for some other reason. I cannot see my slides at the moment. But I'm going to. Um, we can see the slides. Can you see the slides? Yes, we can. Okay, so I think what I should do is, Elmeri, I'm going to speak to my slides. I fortunately do have. Um, I'm going to just see. Perfect. Um, I, we can clearly see the slides, so um, you can just talk, and I'll I'll maneuver it as you as you speak. I'm now on the second slide. Okay, so I, sorry about this. So you can just start, um, if so you open. I, 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 I put someone. It's I, a criti- critical analysis. You can still hear me there? Okay. Yes. I'm going to talk to the slides and then you can just move them along as you, as you hear my conversation going. <laughs> Thank you very much, everyone. I'd like to thank the Nelson Mandela Family Business Unit and the African Family Firms for inviting me to present my paper today. Um, This is the second Family Business Research Conference of Africa, and I'm very proud to be a part of this discussion, especially as it relates to philanthropy. I want to also say that I think the theme is extremely appropriate to philanthropy in South Africa and on our continent as it relates to cooperation and sharing. And as I go through my slides, I will also point out how I see that to be relevant. The topic of my research paper was a critical analysis of the human rights development and income tax legislative framework within which individual philanthropy in South Africa functions and takes place. It was a comparative analysis between the income tax tax exemption dispensations of the USA and of India. And the purpose of the research was to take a moment and reflect and have a look at where we are at as a South African income tax exemption regime and whether we are realizing the human rights and development aspirations which we have for ourselves as a country. In doing this, there were three, there were four different research approaches which were taken into account and which were applied. The first was the doctrinal approach which was used in analyzing legislation and also looking at the relevant tax law application. I also had a look at the traditional approach, which was taken into account in presenting philosophical views on why people give and what the giving nature is. It was also taken into account when looking at the philosophical thinking behind family business and giving, and also in taking into account what the various international instruments in realizing human rights and and realizing the development objectives were. were. 
The comparative method was applied in looking at what the USA and what the Indian income tax regimes looked like and comparing that with South Africa and coming to certain conclusions, which then led, moved into the um, analytical analysis research section, which was applied in coming to conclusion and making certain recommendations. Almeri, are we now on the next slide? And the next topic, which I then had a look at, is why and in which context do people actually give? When we look at the definition of philanthropy, then we see that there's a meaning to the word which means to love. And there is a direct interest in what human beings are aspiring to, keeping their dignity in place, and what enhances being a, being a human being through the process of giving and receiving. It often involves private giving for the betterment of others. Part of this process involves actions and behaviors which portray a voluntary commitment to the well-being of others, based on cultural and religious teachings regarding the obligations of those who are for those who have to those who are less, less privileged. And it's also here that I see a good link between our theme of the conference, Gamadi, which means striving to work in cooperation with one another and sharing. It does hold a theme of seeing out and looking out for others, and looking towards the betterment of human potential. Therefore, the tone and fabric of philanthropy is the love of humanity in terms of which values are identified and exercised in a manner which benefits another, which benefits another. Philanthropy, and those of us who work in this field will realize philanthropy is not charity. Philanthropy aims to make a long-term impact and to address certain of the principal, or let me rather say certain of the root causes of the difficulties we experience and we want to address. Whilst charity is seen as a knee-jerk reaction, it's an emotional short-term reaction and often doesn't address the core problem which gives rise to the challenges we face. From there, we move on to the phases of philanthropy, and this includes family business um, and the African relevance. So globally, and I would say in developing nations, this trend is also seen. There's an, a move away from personalized to formalized giving, which means if there is a legal and a structural home within which philanthropy can take place, that is welcomed and that is appreciated. It's at this stage in my paper where I was able to look at the norms and the underpinnings of Af African philanthropy and what the, what the fiber of, that, of philanthropy on our continent is. And we've mentioned several times throughout this conference the relevance of the Ubuntu maxim, the Ubuntu cult philosophy, which is humanity towards another. I also read the Zimbabwean maxim, which I really like, and I thought was so representative of philanthropy in the African context, which is to be human and to affirm one's humanity by recognizing the humanity of others and using that as a basis to establish relations with other people. So, after having a look, had a look at the African context and the forms which philanthropy in Africa um, takes on, one can confirm that also here there's a movement away from 
more unstructured philanthropy to that which is more formalized and which is structured. From there, I moved on and had a look at family philanthropy. And the definition of family philanthropy includes the family business or owning, owning a partner, making voluntary donations of resources, which include money, knowledge, time and effort to support social and environmental causes. So traditionally, family philanthropy would include financial donations to charitable projects, donations, time and goods, and more recently, what we've seen is an increase in social impact investing. Social impact investing is investing in funds, companies, organizations that yield social and environmental impact as well as financial returns. And this ability to measure the impact of what philanthropic contributions are making is becoming more and more important as the nature of philanthropy evolves and also those who involve themselves with philanthropy change. I'm referring to next generations and how they manage their philanthropy initiatives. But what can be concluded about family philanthropy, that family business philanthropy includes a variety of philanthropic vehicles, the focus areas change, and the forms are diversified, diversified and evolving. It was important to also look at why families participate in philanthropy. And when doing this, one can have a look at both the business as well as the family's perspective on it. From a business perspective, philanthropy provides families with the opportunity to create long-term goals, enhance their reputation and social capital, strengthen commitment of family and non-family employees. From a family family's perspective, I also found the reading of the Gastro and Block research, which was done focusing specifically on South African foundations, interesting. It confirmed that the reasons why families involve themselves in philanthropy is because it can maintain family values and legacy. Family members can remain involved when leaving the business. Um, the founding reason was to leave a legacy, and therefore this legacy can live on. There was a specific focus at that time within South Africa on philanthropy and educational connections, and then also ensuring that South Africans can reach their full potential and being a part of that. It's interesting to note that KPMG conducted research towards the middle of last year, and it's going to release a report on the trends in philanthropy and family business philanthropy soon. But what our global head of family office and private clients has said is that while wealth can all too often pull families apart, philanthropy can bring family members together under a common banner. And I think that sums up very well why families enjoy becoming involved in philanthropy because it does, it does bring them together and it does give them another focus beyond that of the business. After having had a look at why families involve themselves in philanthropy, I did have a look at what the government's obligation is in realizing some of the human rights and our, our human rights and our development goals. And it is at this point where I could see the connection between, fam between philanthropy and the agendas which we have and also government's responsibility and, co and commitment to 
to realize human rights and development aspirations. So I started off with looking at the international, international instruments, and I listed them out there. They do include the Universal Declaration on Human Rights and the African Charter of Human and People's Rights. And after that, I had a look at our own South African constitution in terms of we undertook that the state must respect and protect and promote and fulfill the human rights and the Bill of Rights. And, and in terms of which in the socioeconomic context, socioeconomic rights context, specific rights are highlighted, such as the right to housing, the right to housing, to water, and also children's rights. So it's important to point out here that there is this shared agenda and the shared commitment for very different reasons, but which is underpinned by the well-being and the building of society uh, in terms of which the individuals can reach their full potential. And that is where I see an overlap in terms of in terms of where there can be collaboration and cooperation and sharing. The question then has to be asked, and that brings us to the next reflection point, which is what does the South African tax context look like? And is it fully supportive of this commitment to realize what we see now now scheduled to the Income Tax Act public benefit activities? or which can be translated in terms of our constitutional language as socioeconomic rights. One has to acknowledge that our income tax dispensation has evolved tremendously, especially since 1994, when there were significant changes made to the legislation as it related to charities and non-profit organizations. The public benefit activity list was expanded, and there is a variety of activities and focus areas included now, the trade requirement, which was initially a reason to, to lose tax exemption, has been expanded, allowing for partial taxation. There has also been changes in terms of the donor deductibility status, which is available to individuals who make donations, not beyond 10% of their taxable income, but that is an incentive for individuals to contribute. There does, however, remain significant room for improvement. Firstly, one has to say that the income tax exemption activities as they are listed out in the ninth schedule are not comprehensive enough. That list is also not updated frequently. And some of those activities are not relevant anymore, whilst certain important activities such as economic activities are not included. Secondly, the application of this trade requirement, which we see in our legislation now, by the courts and by the relevant government departments is very is done in a very, very narrow and inflexible way, often disincentivizing giving and making contributions to important objectives. Something which is also challenging, and especially in the light of cooperation and sharing, is the fact that tax savings initiatives which are available are only available for donations and contributions made to organizations in South Africa. And so one has to ask the question, where does that leave us in terms of collaborating beyond, region, beyond borders and within region, regions where often resources are extremely restricted? And the fourth area which I identified was, I think people who work in this field will agree with me that the administrative complexity which is involved in realizing or in setting, in setting up an organization, in establishing income tax exemption status for them, is 
unnecessarily complex. And when we look at India, we'll see how that can actually be an incentive to involve people in philanthropy. So from here, it's quite appropriate then to have a look at the USA and the India income tax exemption regimes and determine what we can take from there and apply to the areas which are challenged within South Africa. These systems, I have to say, are not perfect, but there are certainly some points which we can take from them in moving our own agenda forward and incentivizing families to continue being involved in philanthropy. Firstly, in terms of the USA system, there does exist an established culture of philanthropy. When doing individual tax returns, one can see donations are made. Sometimes supporting documentations are documentation is available and sometimes not. But it's hardly ever that the IRS questions, donations made, and also the nature of the donations which can be made are more different compared to that which we have in South Africa. Making a donation in kind is possible. When it's above a certain amount in value, then an additional form has to be completed. But it is available to someone who wants to make a donation. There's also been in the U.S. growth in, popula in, in the popularity popularity of donor advised funds which make it possible for which make it possible for individuals to see not only what the financial impact of their donation is but also the social impact and again that brings us to the importance for donors and philanthropists to measure the impact they have not only financially but also socially when we look at india the system they have there and the administration thereof is commendable it takes between three to four months for an organization to process an application, for an organization's application to be processed. And there are different routes to be followed by different kinds of organizations. If you have a more simple organization and you don't expect to, to obtain funding from abroad, then it is possible to, then it is possible to follow a shorter route compared to an organization expecting funding from abroad. Those organizations with the simple roots include education and health organizations, which I think we all will agree are so important in the world of development and in the world of addressing certain of the basic needs of our, of our citizens. What is also interesting here is because of the fluid or let me say less complex administrative nature of this, of this income tax regime's administration, and because of families really educating their next generation on the importance of philanthropy and the importance of being involved, uplifting, or working with um, role players in making, in making citizens realize their best potential, there's been an uptake in next generation involvement in philanthropy. So I think when we look at where we currently stand, the question will be, what are the next steps which we can do to further evolve our South African income tax exemption regime in ensuring that these beautiful aspirations and objectives from a human rights and development perspective are realized by government with our involvement? And I would like to encourage and say, firstly, I think we need to take a breath. We need to stand and reflect and take heart at how far we have come. We have definitely made good progress in, in, in uh, playing out and in 
elaborating our legislation. And we are also testing as we see social entrepreneurs coming to the fore and all of and new forms of philanthropy coming to the fore. We are also growing in our confidence in testing the in the, testing the current system. And I think what we can do is we can be curious about philanthropy. We can engage with philanthropists and with people who are very involved with, with development initiatives and ask why they are involved. And from there, our input into submissions and recommendations to change legislation can be trendy, it can be relevant, and it can be forced, and it can be forward-looking. In terms of the steps which we should take in moving the agenda forward, I firstly recommended that we establish and mature a comprehensive discussion on philanthropy, looking at philanthropy in a comprehensive manner, in a com comprehensive manner. And I would like to compliment and commend this conference on including the topic on the agenda and facilitating this conversation because it is so important and it definitely informs future input when and where the opportunity arises. Secondly, through engagement with parliamentary submissions and also on a day-to-day -day basis, we must apply our minds and communicate how we think the administrative complexity which currently faces philanthropists in South Africa can be addressed. As we know, for instance, if you want to register an organization, there are various departments which are involved. And I think that can be streamlined. Um, and when the opportunity comes, we can make that recommendation. Also, I think public benefit activities have to be expanded and modernized on an ongoing basis. And this can be done by engaging with the tax exemption unit and also by making submissions. For instance, what we used to see in the form of the Davis Tax Committee and whichever opportunities arise as we go forward. The donor deductibility status which we currently have has to be expanded and enhanced. And similarly, when we engage with our organizations and we see new initiatives, which could be seen as trade, we have to engage with those relevant government departments and with the administrators in establishing a broader thinking around what sustainability means for organizations and what trading involves. Lastly, there is currently a prohibition in place in terms of our income tax, which prevents organizations from creating, a, I would almost call a reserve from which they can then, an endowment from which they can then operate and which will really enhance sustainability going forward for our organizations. So I would like to recommend that we engage again and we try to see that this prohibition is removed from our legislation. So in conclusion, I would say, similar to everything else, philanthropy in South Africa and in Africa has not been unaffected by the health and economic challenges we faced recently. But I think we've shown our resilience as family business philanthropists, and we've shown our interest in ensuring that all the role players play their part in moving this agenda forward. And I trust that these recommendations makes this discussion a little bit more tangible and assists in setting an agenda going forward. Thank you so much, Erica. That was so insightful, really interesting presentation. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but we'll have time on the panel discussion in about 30 minutes to unpack this even further. I'd invite everyone... Well done, Erica. 
all well. Really well. I'd invite everyone to join us on the next um, presentation, literally in about two minutes, um, on exploring cultural differences in family firms. Thank you.